And I'll never forget in that meeting, our first hire, she who's like been the most a part of it with us out of anyone kind of turns to us and says, you know, we really just need to know, you know, what is the real vision behind this for you guys? I'm like, girl, you've been with us. Like, you, you know, right? And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, we've she, never actually like said it out loud. She doesn't even know because we've never said it. How can anyone else know? Hey there, Powder Keg fans. This is episode 103 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today you'll hear from two founders who are building an amazing company in Nashville, Tennessee. Channing Moreland and Mackenzie Stokel are the co-founders of Eva More, an online platform that connects event planners with vetted live entertainment. Uh, I don't want to spoil the story, but while Channing and McKinsey were in college, they saw an opportunity to improve the booking sector for the music industry by building a platform that connects event planners and artists in a way that automates booking live entertainment. Since then, the company has grown incredibly and they're at a really unique stage of the startup right now um, where they're uh, just kind of redoing the mission, vision, core values. And uh, I'm really eager to talk to them because they've been part of the powder keg community for years, uh, going back to sort of our initial launch in Nashville and their company has been uh, growing like crazy. So excited to talk to them and Channing and Mackenzie, thanks for being here. Thank you, Matt. Great intro. Yeah, seriously. So Nailed impressive. it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I'm pretty, pretty sure we just took it from your website. So nicely done. Oh, okay. Perfect. I was like, oh man, that's exactly what I would have <laughs> yeah. said. With us, with us changing so much right now, we're like, is it accurate? Doesn't it? <laughs> that's just a nice surprise. So thank you. Hey, that's good. Kudos to you for having an accurate description on your website. <laughs> it sounds like it should be a basic yeah, thing. Yeah, it seems obvious, I guess. Oh, no, man. it's totally not, and I, I get the startup life. Um, before we dive in, give me a, a sort of some idea of the scale right now of where you're at in the startup journey. Um, let's see. We have, including ourselves, we have four full-time employees and four part-time employees, so we're at eight now actually well we just brought another part-time mom literally last week so nine. Oh, congrats yeah that's awesome well, and and are all of your clients still in nashville or do you have clients elsewhere as well definitely expanding the client base now we made so many mistakes in that expansion plan last year and we you know kind of retreated and then now we're back out with our new plan, but what we're the way we're going about it now is the clients that we receive in other markets, we then go there and make sure that we have artists to fit. And so a few of them, Matt, for example, are Houston and Austin, Boston, uh, Atlanta, uh, the Chicago area, starting a lot in New York and in LA now. So we're kind of we're getting our region set and then growing outward in secondary markets too. Nice. Congrats. I can relate to that on so many levels. So eager to talk about that. Um, but before we dive into kind of how you got to where you are now, can we go back a little bit? And I, I would just love to uh, learn a little bit more about each of your own individual entrepreneurial stories. Um, and Mackenzie, maybe you could kick it off for us. 
But what was your first entrepreneurial memory? Were you a kid? Were you recently graduated? (laughs) Um, I love that question. Let's see. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, selling Girl Scout cookies. Like way back in the day was like my, you know, like door to door selling as a kid. Oh, yeah. One for like the Washington, D.C. trip in middle school. That was always um i just always liked it i always liked to sell in the most basic way possible so i think um just the just the fondness of doing that and i kind of was awesome at it too so (laughs) uh, i guess maybe kind of was was the first little step into entrepreneurship it seems like when you're younger and you, you kind of get that positive reinforcement um, even if you're not selling every single time, which you probably were because you're a beast at selling, but, um, what, it, what is some of the, the stuff that you learned early on as you're getting that positive reinforcement and, um, were there any times where you failed and, and maybe walked away with something that maybe you even still use today as you're continuing to build your client base? Yeah, that's, it's so interesting to think about it like that. And, you know, maybe even like how it could have shaped decisions today, but it's so much less, I mean, you know, as like a kid, it's not even that intimidating to go up to somebody's house and, you know, like kind of bombard them in their space in a way, you know, you don't think of it as how you might now, if you were to go up to a stranger's house selling something, it's kind of intimidating or you don't know what they're going to say or who they're going to get. But as a kid, it's kind of, you know, you don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, sure, you know, who doesn't want cookies? Um, (laughs) So there's definitely some fearlessness as a child that I think I've tried to hold on to. Whether I've been successful at that or not, I can always try and think back about, okay, you know, well, if this little girl, like, could do that and not really think about the consequences, that's kind of how I have to, I have to hone that in sometimes and just like go for it or say things that I might not be comfortable saying or talk to strangers and just kind of not be afraid of the outcomes. That's cool. That's a really cool experience. I I remember selling uh, Christmas wreaths for my basketball team as as a fundraiser. And that was my my first door-to-door sales, but I also did the vacuum cleaner thing in college. That was very, um, Character building. (laughs) Channing, how about you? What was your first entrepreneurial memory? Man, I can resonate with you both. I feel like why as kids are we always selling things to someone? I mean, the true, (laughs) it's pretty funny, but I do remember one, and this is going to sound weird, but I, okay, so I went to like an unconventional church, but it was, it was great growing up in a very all welcoming place. And they were open to ideas of how we could make money. And so we said we wanted to, I remember with one of my best friends who was a DJ, we were like, let's put on a rave. Like we didn't know (laughs) as kids really what that meant. We were like, let's put on a rave and make money and we'll do it in like the fellowship hall area. And we'll just have a bunch of kids come there and we'll just party And we ended up making so much money that we did it like five (laughs) times again. And we just, me and this kid, Ricky, just kept putting these events on, which is funny because that's what we were doing in college. And I honestly, until you asked that question, I've never thought about that. But that's my first real memory of making money in a weird way and being like, oh, let's do this again. So 
Any big breakthroughs other than, oh, hey, this is a way to make money? <laughs> I think realizing how much I loved seeing, like, because we had to, it was like we were going and like shopping for team members because we were like, all right, we need this person to do this. this. And then like organizing it all and seeing the finished product, that was a breakthrough. I look at today, my favorite part is, you know, we're, we're messing up, you know, every day, of course, but seeing the team when they jive, that's my favorite piece of it. That's cool. And, and you're in a, a good place to be doing that right now as you're growing the team. Yeah. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you two uh, met. Great story. <laughs> we were, so we went to Belmont University together in Nashville. Um, I'm from Indiana, so I came, um, came on down. <laughs> and then Chance from Boston. So we were both kind of, um, you know. Transplants. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of other people, and we were roommates at orientation. So, like, before classes even start, summer, before college, um, you know, you come down, I think it was, like, the end of June, and you go and kind of just learn about what's college about and actually pick <laughs> your schedule. Um, so, we just happened to walk in at the same time to this orientation with our parents and they just paired us up and said, all right, well, you know, for the next two days, you guys are going to be roommates. And, um, we just became friends pretty quickly. Right That's off the bat. Well, what was it um, that sort of clicked for you? Is it that you're very similar or is it that you're complimentary? I just remember, you know, being from Boston, you know, I, I was, I didn't know much about Nashville, even though I actually technically grew up in Oklahoma and moved to Boston, but I was just like, what is Tennessee? Like, I didn't even know. I was nervous by some of the stereotypes we had heard from Belmont. And I remember after a little bit of the orientation, Mackenzie and I were sitting on this like brick wall together. Right. Just like, I don't know about this. Like some of these people <laughs> were meeting here. Like, and she was like, yeah. me too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it was definitely relating to each other in that Belmont is Belmont's a very um conservative school. It's mm -hmm. you know, the yeah, there's a lot of rules. Um, you know, there's just lot a lot more that you have to do to live on campus. Um and so we were both kind of like, whoa, this is way more intense than we thought. Like, is this do we make the right pick coming to the school? And uh, great so we, people, though. Great yeah, people. oh, no, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we just, like, we're instantly, like, okay, I think we're on the same page here. Mm -hmm. And that just continued. I mean, then, you know, you, you fast forward to us signing our first operating agreement together as sophomores. And we had to, like, kind of pencil in what our roles were. And even that as, like, friends and business partners – fast forward to now and it's still you know the same and intact and how we could have subconsciously foreseen some of those roles and traits that we're really just now starting to understand is besides me sometimes it just works out perfectly i know uh, something that uh, sometimes entrepreneurs uh maybe uh bristle at is uh, being a little bit more rule heavy and having to play by the rules. So being at Belmont, did you two ever brush up against that and, um, and potentially have to bend or mitigate some of the rules as you're starting with even more? <laughs> 
I think that's probably should have been our core value is that we're we don't follow any rules because that I feel like we should do that I mean that's, that's yeah and yeah. anybody's rules whether it was like our campuses our the social rules of you know what you're kind of supposed to be doing on weekends versus our business I mean, yeah to, yeah um I mean so I, yeah we did not follow <laughs> rules that's for sure I remember I mean the way we started making money with our events was unconventional totally you know, i mean it wasn't talk to yeah. me about that what was the genesis of the idea so the original idea our sophomore year of college was um that we would create a platform that would show people what events are going on especially concerts very music focused um, what events are going on in your city. And obviously we were in Nashville. There's lots of events, lots of stuff we could show and promote. There's plenty of websites like that do that now and do a great job of it. Our little bit of our differentiator was that we would kind of connect with your existing music platforms or, um, you know, you could put in your preferences, your music preferences, and we would give you recommendations based on that. Cool. Um, so we had a, we had a website that was, I mean, it, it sounds like it even could have been cooler than it was. Like, it was just a calendar really. Like it was just a website with a calendar and we uploaded events to it <laughs> and, um, no one ever, like, I, I don't think anyone ever went to the website, um, except for us. And we feel like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like, we didn't do any market research or like, oh, you know, this is an actual problem. We're like, well, we would like it. So it must be a real thing, right? You know, mm. I feel like a first mistake a lot of entrepreneurs do is they build what they want, not what others want. Yeah. And we started then putting on events to kind of not only like populate it, but then also it was a way we weren't even trying to make money, you know, being in school, we were just trying to create cool experiences. And by us creating events and booking those bands that we were following that also then became another really business entity, but something for what we were doing too. Yeah. I, I love the, the quote. I think it's um, don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of times entrepreneurs are like, well, I have this problem. So everyone else must have this problem. Right. Uh, I've certainly started some of those businesses in the past and those iterate and grow. Um, what, what were some of your kind of bigger aha moments in those early days as you were trying new things? I feel like some of the biggest ones were, I mean, that was a certainly the biggest one probably is that, you know, we didn't necessarily see who is the customer of this. Do we actually have a model? Do we have a plan to make money? Um, we didn't think those things out before just building it. So, you know, that's not smart. Um, it's, so I mean, some people have the model and the strategy, but they fail to take action. So I would say, you know, it's better to do something than have the perfect model and plan and not do anything. Yeah, I like it. And I, I like thinking that way. I feel like such the theme now, I mean, even at 3686, the, the theme of the conference, you know, with startups was it's like, it's like, just start. I feel like we're all saying that. And, yeah. you know, there was a lot of concept of like, you can even fail through the startup. And I think that's, we are like the queens of that totally. is, you know, we started with something at least, but then we were evolving and ideating and generating the new even more version, you know, just by messing up in the process. 
Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned 3686, but for those who are listening that aren't familiar with it, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that conference that's in Nashville? Yes. So it happens at the end of August every year and 3686 are the coordinates of Nashville. And it's an entrepreneurial festival, very focused on uh, bringing startup founders and investors together, really focusing around tech mainly, but anything goes. And it's, it's really actually one of my favorite conferences just in how strategic they are in connecting those investors to entrepreneurs and giving time for that. So, and it's two days, which I like nice and quick. Sometimes the three day ones are just or four are just way too much. Dragging so, on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and people come from all over the Southeast, but even nationally for this too. I, I remember I got a chance to speak last year and I was blown away by just how many people, one, how many people were there period, but then two, how many people were in from out of town. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think because we live in Nashville and it's in Nashville, we're not having to do travel, you know, we're not having to book flights or hotels or anything. It's just, we don't maybe take it as seriously until we get there and realize how serious it really is. And people, people from all over the country, like you said, are there and it's a great program. Well, and I know that you got hooked up early on with some interesting programs there in Nashville. Uh, what what kind of stage were you in when you first got introduced to the Music Accelerator? Yes. So we, just to give a little background, we were juniors at Belmont and we had just won a business plan competition at Belmont. And the judges on that panel were integral. They were amazing. And one of them was Phil Schmerling, who's now over at Studio Bank. And at the time he was running in Crowd Capital. And he came up to us and he was like, I don't really know what you're doing, but it's cool. And you should go to the Entrepreneur Center. It seems like you're ready to take that leap into that kind of community outside of your college community. And you should do that. And that was the best advice we received because Mm. it broke us out of that college bubble. It showed us the opportunity of building your network early on. And then the music tech accelerator that was coming out of the entrepreneur center, it was actually happening in a couple of months from then. And so a few people had recommended that we apply for it and it's called project music. It was the first ever music tech accelerator of its kind. It was backed by eight plus major music industry companies they chose eight companies to go through it and we were selected and it happened. Oh, I'm sorry. That was, that happened at the top of our junior year, right? Or no, that was in, it was the second semester. So second semester. So we come back after break and we start this thing and then we still had a year left of school when we finished and going into it, we were still, I mean, we applied to be in it with that initial idea, um, kind of a, not really necessarily having a model, but we knew we needed to change. We knew we needed some help. So that's why we wanted to get in to get as much advice as possible. Um, and we, I think we barely got in. Like if they had only picked seven, we would have been. We would have been us. Yeah. I, I feel like we were a pity pick, but I'll take it. Cause it changed our lives. Oh yeah. It was great. <laughs> that's amazing. What, what was the concept at that point that you applied with? Uh, it was, you know, it's still the same. It was coming off of that calendar of events, but it, 
but I mean, the way we had made all of our money was putting on our own events. Right. So that somehow incorporated into this website, but we had these things that didn't necessarily have to do with one another. Um, and what we had done is just booked music, produced events and made money doing it. That was really all we knew, honestly. And we, um, wanted to turn it into a real business mm-hmm. and see in scale. That's a lot more than a, a lot of people in the industry know. So I, th- I feel like you're starting with some pretty good knowledge and background. Um, and it sounds like maybe in the accelerator, things really were forged and, and polished and iterated upon. Can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about that experience? What were, what were some of the bigger aha breakthrough? Well, it, it felt like every day was a breakthrough because it, it was like, yes, we were going to college, but it felt like we were getting an MBA and exactly what we wanted and needed to learn, to yeah. this, which is what we were. It was, you know, 14 weeks of this is how you need to do this. Mm. And I remember on day two, you know, we come in and Mackenzie and I really start to yeah. look at what are we actually even doing? And that is a question that is so important to ask and it was just that was a breakthrough moment of now we have the mental capacity and space and time to look at our business and see all the holes and yeah that's scary and hard but we should all be doing that like every three months and so that was a great experience of us seeing oh we're booking a ton of vetted acts over here and that's a really lengthy process and it's time consuming and a lot of logistics go into it and it's a mess and then over here, we really like when technology can aid in, a, in the solution and when that can be scalable and bigger than just the two of us. So we started to see what we were doing, but then we needed to go make sure it was a problem for others and not just us. Yeah, definitely. Was that scary? Super scary. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were the youngest in the program by far and also the only female founders. So it was just kind of, you know, thrown into this, this accelerator program, thrown into these opportunities and we had to just figure it out every day. But, um, I think to, I think at first people were like, Oh, these are the interns of the thing, right? Like you guys, you guys aren't really a uh, member of the cohort. And then by the end we really, even just in our confidence, we'd gotten, you know, we knew how to speak about our business. We knew how to speak to different types of people and gain respect, I think, a lot more than going in. Talk to me a little bit about overcoming that challenge. You know, a lot of founders talk about imposter syndrome. Uh, they talk about maybe being underestimated. Uh, what, what did you do to kind of overcome that being probably, I'm assuming the, some of the younger people in the accelerator, if not the absolute youngest uh, people yeah. in the accelerator, and this being your first go around with starting a startup. This is a huge topic for me in particular, and something that I'm still now working through from like the post effects of that particular accelerator, sure. because with my personality, and I'm so thankful, like Mackenzie saved my butt through that accelerator, but like I felt like I had to be like walls up, like do not affect us. We are good. And like, I became a robot with like a lot of male energy. And like, I remember like wearing button downs and like, you know, just like not being myself because I felt like we were put into the situation and I had to protect myself uh, in a way. And it was, it was like a weird 
experience. And there totally was that imposter syndrome. And there still is at times. For sure. Tough, you know, but really working through, I mean, I think what is really helpful to come back to is you, there's a reason you, we are doing this. And that right there is enough of a differentiator at times, I believe, is the founders of who are doing it. And just having that reminder really helps me go, you are not an imposter. You are doing this for a reason and working through that. But it was really hard to be, to go through that first process. How about you? Yeah. I mean, it was helpful that we had each other. So it was like, okay, well, there's at least there's two of us and we can um, be a team uh, while we feel very alone in a way in this process. But I mean, it really thickened our skin. I mean, we had to, uh, I, <laughs> I remember a big part of this accelerator was every week you're pitching. So you're pitching to groups of investors, mentors, the rest of the cohort, um, different people every week. And they're literally critiquing you on everything, not just your business and your business model, but how you're actually pitching. And if you are terrible at talking to people, you know, like literally just like giving you all the negative feedback and it really sucks. But I think by the end we, you know, we had to just take it and shape up. And by the end we were rock solid. And they would rate you against each other. And then you could see that. And that that was crazy at the start, but then at the end we were ready for that too. So a little more comfortable with it by the end. Yeah. At least you had those thousands of thin mints under your belt that you had uh, sold previously. So at least sort of like a baseline of right. uh, confidence right. and knowing that you can, can do this. Um, so, right. so talk to me about that. Uh, you know, what was it like? Maybe you weren't knocking on doors, but this initial concept in the accelerator program when you had kind of said, okay, this is our go to market. This is what we're going to initially test our V1. Uh, and we're going to go out and talk to people and see if they want to buy it. How did you go about doing that? And um, what did you come up against when you metaphorically knocked on those doors? It honestly wasn't metaphorically for the first <laughs> year. We, I mean, physical. So, <laughs> so we kind of, so once we did actually pivot, which from, you know, this kind of thrown together idea, we pivoted to a being an online marketplace that connects entertainment, mostly music and artists with private event planners. And the, the real type of event planner we were focused on at first was college event planners. Mm. A lot of times, um, Greek life. So the social chair of a fraternity or sorority was our customer and they were having parties, they were doing events and they wanted bands. So that was, that was our, that was our business, um, right out of project music. And so we were literally like driving to campuses and going and knocking on frat houses and like asking if we can talk to their social chair about how they book entertainment and what their needs are and if they would ever do it online and um, like figure out kind of the pricing and the budgets that they have just to learn more about them to see if if we would be a good fit. So we still were doing the door to door thing and that was terrible. So we were walking so into, you know, we were literally walking into a frat house that was stinky and dirty and. Oh, I just, I remember so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> are there any in, in particular that are emblazoned in your memory? Yes. 
WKU, right? At Western Kentucky University. That one in Valdosta. Yeah. It was just like, people live here. This is disgusting. And then, you know, there's such a, oh, there's such this push and pull, especially when you have a marketplace because you have a whole other client that you're servicing, the artists. And it was really stressful with college events because it was like, everyone as an artist underlyingly would love to play. It, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. An artist wants hypothetically to play a college event. But what that event really looks like if you turn the lights on is horrifying on so many like codes. Yeah. But the artist wants it. So we're like, okay, we're going to make these connections. And it just didn't, didn't feel good. And mm. kind of understood why it's been such a hard thing too. But we did continue to see that this user and we were a little ahead of it a couple years back but these users are coming up and they are ready to do things online yep. so we could at least see that yeah. and we could validate that but it was a tough market to go after that sounds sounds like a, a trove of stories there um how long did you do that before you started kind of broadening your aperture on who you might be selling to Yes. So when we graduated in 2016, we spent that whole year really developing the platform, going on to college campuses. And it was at the end of 2017. So after like a year and a half ish, um, where we just started seeing other customer types coming to us naturally, we were enjoying those a lot more. Yeah. And we were still having a really hard time with the churn and just the deliverables with colleges. And so I remember last year, so at the end of 2017, we saw that. And in February, we made the decision. We were like, it's not that we're turning away from college yet. Let's just really make an intention to focus on corporate this month. And the numbers spoke for themselves, yep. seeing what just that month looked like. I think I met you just before that when you both came up to Indianapolis and, yeah. and pitched. You know, what's so funny. I was thinking about that because, and I loved that event. That event was so cool. You that were, was, you, you were both amazing. Thank you. You had your pitch down. Nice, man. I'd hope so after that. <laughs> but I realized Matt, that was the last time we ever pitched that particular hmm. concept. Yeah. For Probably was the last time we ever did it was there. Wow. Wow. And so everything kind of exploded in, in the positive connotation of the word, which is the only way we talk about it here at Powder Keg. <laughs> um, so everything kind of exploded after you looked at corporate as a, as a way to continue to grow the client base. Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah we, let's see. So we did, we, we did a few corporate events um, just basically through people that we had met or had heard of us or maybe even, you know, they just liked an artist and they knew we worked with them um, at the end of 17, right? Yeah. 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 18, yep. Yep. And then, um, right. Because then in like January 2018, we were like, let's just stop what we're doing and focus all of our efforts on doing more of those corporate events, getting more of those corporate customers, solely marketing to them. We can still serve this college community that we have that are existing customers, but as far as getting new customers, let's just try it for a month. Yeah. And our sales tripled in a month. So we were like, okay, that's definitely the move. 
we're certainly going to do this. And it's so much easier on our mental state as well. I mean, it's just, um, you know, they're paying on time and they're just professionals. So we shifted. Yes. Yeah, so it's been a little over a year and a half now that we've been focused on corporate events. Um, but we'll still do different types of stuff. You know, that's certainly our main focus, but we've done plenty of weddings. Um, we have still done stuff on, you know, private parties or stuff on college campuses, but we're, we're focused on the corporate. And I feel like it, I mean, I feel like it really has taken a year and a half to learn this customer. It's, it's been interesting, you know, to, to see how, you know, how fragmented the corporate industry is now and how we can really provide a great solution to multiple different types of users. But it taught us a lesson in how much info and knowledge and, you know, research it takes to really understand your buyer. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in a marketplace because you've got at least two that exactly. you've really, really got to know well. Um, right. Any other big lessons from the marketplace standpoint that helped you uh, break through a little bit in the, those earlier days of going after corporates? Absolutely. So many. I mean, <laughs> one that comes to mind that, you know, is it's really knowing to what your platform even, you know, does like, are you a software as a service? You know, what kind of pro product are you as a marketplace? Who, who is the number one client? Because there has to be one that you, I, I believe in our system that we have to focus on a little bit more, aka the one paying. But, you know, we even made the mistake with the marketplace of which one do we scale first? And, you know, do we have teams in other places or do we have a core team here selling this software? Like who focuses on what side of the marketplace? I mean, there's so many different things that go into it that we had to learn the hard way. Yeah, that, man, that's, there's so much there. Uh, I, I almost feel like we have to circle back on another episode to go into the marketplace side because I, I'd really love to hear, I, I always think it's so fascinating. There's so much to learn in those early days of a startup team. Mm -hmm. And I know you're in the thick of that right now, going from just you two to now nine people on the Even More team. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about, about what it was like to bring on that first person? How did you know it was time to bring oh. someone? Yeah, it was nerve wracking. Uh, I mean, fortunately, the person we did bring on was a good fit for us. And, you yeah. know, they're still around. We didn't have to fire them right away. Like I know a lot of people do. <laughs> they find out it isn't a good fit. Um, so we did make a good decision on the person fortunately and i think that was certainly amount a good amount of luck as well but um it, it's tough to i think we went a long a little too long without hiring anybody you know i think we what, what were some of the reasons why i mean we always are we're very focused on being as lean as possible and just seeing another expense of a of a hire was always just kind of daunting and it was kind of like, ah, do we really need that person or can we just like, you know, lose our nights and weekends basically to do that work ourselves? Yeah. You know, obviously isn't the right move at, you know, you can only do that for so long. Yeah. Um, How did you start to know that you couldn't do that any longer? Oh man. <laughs> uh, I remember it was uh, late last year. 
and we were just like crawling out of like what felt like a grave. <laughs> we were just like, yeah. not yet. And it just was so, it was like we were hitting this wall because we were just at capacity. Like we both had 12 jobs within yeah. this thing. That's true. And I remember people like our mentors, of course, thank goodness for mentors and your stakeholders and people that can, you know, at times you have to, you know, protect yourself sometimes from the, you know, varying feedback, but people were like, it, it might be time to bring on someone. Have you thought about hiring sales? And we tried to go down that route, but we just haven't implemented enough of the process yet to do it. And so we weren't ready. And I remember finally at the top of this year, we were like, okay, this year needs to look different in capacity for yeah. ourselves. And we need to make an investment in our company together to do that. And that's going to be scary, but we have to try. And, you know, of course, worst comes to worst, you fire them and you've, you've learned something huge and you go to find a better person. So it was definitely at the top of this year when we made that decision, we started interviewing for the whole month of February. We interviewed, I think we looked at like over 40 applicants. What was the role? Outside sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was sales. Ended up being sales. Yeah. Nice. And it clearly was exactly what we needed because it opened our eyes to the world of what this could be. And it helped us start and grow our organization. And what was really amazing about the one we did hire, like Mackenzie was saying, she was more of a right fit than I think I even realized hmm. because she naturally has more of like an operator mindset. Mm. She and Mackenzie are really great at process. And me being over more in the sales realm, you could imagine with me not being great at process, it was a shit show. And so having her and I Mackenzie. Can relate. Yes. And so it was, it was incredible to have her be like, you know, we need to have a funnels coming in so we can do outside sales versus inside sales. And I'm like, huh, what are you saying? And yeah. So many lessons there as well. That's great. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that you were fortunate to find the right fit. Um, you mentioned that maybe some of it was luck, but was there anything that you did that in retrospect, you're like, Oh, that was actually kind of smart. You know, whether or not, uh, it was your idea or, or, um, you know, something that you grabbed from a blog post or from a mentor. Um, why do you think that person fit if it wasn't just luck? Hmm. I, you know, I honestly hadn't really thought about it, but I think, um, we, the person, we knew that we, Ideally, this person would have had experience in multiple industries, um, at least for us, you know, that was a big deal because we're very involved in the music industry, but we're also a tech platform and we're also involved in corporate events. Like it's kind of like these like very different businesses all kind of in one place. Like we're serving different people. We are paying artists. So we're in the music entertainment industry. Um, and so someone with at least a basic knowledge of all would, you know, maybe we can find somebody like that, which she did have. Wow. Um, and she'd also worked at a startup before and helped launch a market, which was kind of like huge, perfect for us because that's what we're doing. It was a tech marketplace. So she literally had like that exact experience of launching a tech marketplace, selling to people to use the technology in a new market. So it was where like, did, where did you find this unicorn? I know it's seriously. Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of, a lot of resumes. And another thing we did, oh, actually, something we did, which I, man, I wish this existed better. And if it does, please tell me. But we went to a very vetted place to search, which for us was huge. We yep. went to a Facebook group that was closed and only Nashville, well, surrounding, but hospitality experience, corporate mm. planners were a part of it. It's 1,200 people and they all came from there. So right there we knew that they already were kind of key in what we were looking for. And then hers just really filled the other gaps. Find out where your, your potential people would hang. Yeah, uh, there. right. That's great. That's really smart. Um, th did you do that just by just searching on Facebook for it and you stumbled across it or did a, a mentor or someone mention it to you? I was actually a part of it for sales opportunities. You know, I would yeah. scan yeah. that thing. And yeah, so I was yeah. like, huh, I should throw it on there. And we got like 40 resumes. I was like, oh, wow. This yeah, is amazing. Very cool. Very cool. So talk to me then, you know, you've got your first, uh, they always say it takes that first uh, crazy person to start a movement, right? It's, it's actually, they often say it's not the founder or founders. It's that first person that's crazy enough to join the founders. Um, Derek Sivers did an amazing TEDx talk on this, or it was a TED talk actually. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, yeah. but um, it, it's a really great uh, sort of metaphor for any, um, anything, but it's this one person at a music festival that's like dancing like a maniac and sort of like, you know, that, that person didn't actually start the movement. It was the second person who said, yeah, I'll do that too. And oh. then from there, it just kind of expands and you see the entire crowd start to do this wacky dance um, and sort of like how to start a movement. That's how you do it. So I'll, I'll link up how to start a movement. I'll send it to, to both of you. But uh, t talk to me a little bit about, you got the three of you. I'm, I'm assuming you're like every other startup entrepreneur, at least first time startup entrepreneur, you don't have core values documented. You don't have mission, vision, purpose, all of those things, which is totally normal. Yeah. Uh, but, but talk to, talk to me about, or unless you did. No. <laughs> okay. Talk, talk to me about when you, uh, when did you know you needed to start doing some of that stuff? I know exactly when <laughs> it, so <laughs> too late, too late, <laughs> very much too late. So I remember, you know, we had, we had our first hire and then we started, you know, she was, you know, she was that crazy dancer with us. Thank goodness. And we started seeing some other depart, many departments that we needed to bring on. Mm. And it's not that we were going and immediately hiring these people, but we kind of brought them in as advisors, consultants, and we started bringing them in like marketing, finance, capital, corporate growth, our interns. And we started having this little unit mm. in like May. Yeah. And we were like, huh, maybe we should get all these people in a room together and just see what happens. And we didn't even really plan. I didn't plan that too well. And we were like, what if we kind of talk about some marketing concepts? Cause that's what we know nothing about. And let's just see what happens. And I'll never forget in that meeting, our first hire, she, who's like been the most a part of it with us out of anyone kind of turns to us and says, you know, we really just need to know, you know, what is the real vision behind this for you guys? I'm like, girl, you've been with us. Like, you, you know, right? And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, 
We've never actually like said it out loud. She doesn't even know because we've never said it. How can anyone else know? And that's, we took so much out of that and where we are now versus, I'm so glad we got everyone in that room for her to ask that question that embarrassed me because I hadn't ever thought to share that. How did you process that in the moment? And then how did you process that coming out of, out of there that I'm assuming ultimately action. <laughs> it was in the moment I was like, just like, didn't even know where to start. Cause I was just like, this is a lot of work to do. Like we have to figure so much stuff out, let alone just the work of operating our business and, you know, making sure it's continuing on. Um, but like, wow, we have to, you know, before we can even start marketing to other people, we need to internally know what we are and who we're trying to serve. Like we need to define that. Uh, so, you know, at the time it was just like incredibly overwhelming um, to think that we were gonna, you know, we have this team now, but we're also like starting from scratch in a way. It's kind of felt like we were taking a few steps backwards, um, but incredibly necessary. And now that we've really, we have gotten very close to defining that and we have it, you know, written out, everybody's seen it. Uh, it feels way better. And just like, it feels like, you know, we can't all move forward unless that is understood by everybody and everyone's on the same page. Otherwise we're all going different directions rather than one consistent path. Was there any particular process or book that was helpful or resource that was helpful when you were creating those values and vision? Yes. So we had happened to, to have a marketing expert in mm. the room then, and we wanted to have a marketing summit and she was just sitting there and laughing. She was like, Oh yeah, here we go. And so we had developed, you know, a 90 day plan with her of how we would go about this. And that was, you know, she really has walked us through each thing and she oversaw marketing for general mills. And so wow. she's really good at taking a huge thing and bringing it down to what is the actual core of the project. And so she has had us walk through a whole experience to develop our brand identity, a whole experience to develop the official brand personas, the brand guide, the, you know, every single little piece and that her as our process has been huge. And I wouldn't have known how we would go about that without someone like that. That's pretty great. What are some of the benefits you've seen uh, from having those documented now at even in this early stage of a startup life cycle? It's, it's just, I mean, I feel, I just feel much more clear on every decision we make. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've empowered our team to be clear about it as well. You know, we, we don't have to, every little, every decision doesn't have to be a discussion. It's just, okay, I know what our goal is or even the short term goals in my role on this team, like it is defined. I know what I'm doing. So it doesn't have to, you know, I don't have to go in, bring other people in to make sure, you know, it's just like, Hey, we're all, everybody that we have now, like knows what they're up to, knows who they um, need to ask for certain things or communicate with, they know who, but it's, but really it's like, they're, I feel like we've really empowered them to know exactly like to feel confident really in their decisions. That's really cool. It's, it's fun to see when that happens. And uh, it sounds like you've both grown immensely 
as leaders and managers of a team as well. Uh, do either of you have a particularly, I mean, that story was amazing um, and so many lessons to be learned there, but do you have any other um, interesting stories that you've kind of come across as you've been scaling this team to the almost 10 people you have now? Definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you know, uh, I think a harder topic that people don't, at least I sure didn't know how to go about was humans are humans, complex people. And you as a manager, as a leader, you need to, you know, create at least especially in today's world which i'm so thankful for and for people like brene brown talking about how leaders how they should you know to be courageous is to show vulnerability with your team and that's something really huge that i have been trying to remember as in listen we're not going to be that corporate place that shames and causes fear first off that's just not who we are and but on the other hand it's like how do you create a safe space and listen but create boundaries but get things done and be good people like all these things and stuff we've never really had to think about before and so that's just been really interesting to walk through these relationships with your team and know what are their intrinsic motivators, know what, you know, keeps them up at night. How can you remove obstacles for them? I know these are just words and not exact stories, but there's a lot of stories behind that, I think, to, to have gotten us where we are now. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think uh, Brene's book, Dare to Lead, was one of my top reads of last I'm year. I'm reading that right now. Yes. Nice. It's, yes. it's really, really good. And um, certainly take, for me anyway, takes a lot of mistake making uh, in order to get some of those habit changes really solidified. But um, it's process and it's a journey. And I really appreciate both of you for sharing your process, some of your process and some of your story with us here today on Powder Keg. Uh, very, very excited to continue to follow you. If people want to follow the journey of even more, where should they find you? Uh, well, our website is evamore.co, E-V-A-M-O-R-E dot C-O. Um, and then all of our socials is evamoreco, like at evamoreco. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the show. Uh, I'm really excited for everything that you're doing, the continued growth that you're seeing in terms of the team, and then it, both of you as leaders. Uh, it's really cool to see. So thanks for being on the show today. Matt. Thank you. Thank yeah. You're the best. We love talking to you. It's really easy. You're the best asking questions and thank you for being amazing. We love powder keg. So love it. Well, we're really grateful to have you in the community. And, uh, like I said, you're just going to keep doing awesome things. So, uh, and I'm sure continue to make mistakes too. So hope you'll, you'll share in a future episode of powder cake igniting startups, everything that you learn on this next leg. Always. Sounds great. Thanks. Hey, this is your host, Matt Hunkler again, and I just want to say thanks for tuning in. I hope you walk away feeling inspired and armed with lots of new things to try out in your own business. Be sure to follow Channing and McKenzie and learn more about their company, Evamore, at evamore.co. We'll link that all up in the show notes. You can find it there on powderkeg.com. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.